Hello and welcome to Just Bugs, an appreciation podcast for those oft-ousted creatures we humans call bugs, despite their official classifications. I'm your host, Savannah, and today I have my co-host, Matt, with me. It's a new month. I know, no more spooky. It's not October, it's November. There you go. (laughs) It's the month of, uh, it's fall, y'all. It's fall, (laughs) y'all. I think we have a sign that says that. We do, (laughs) we do, in the bathroom. (laughs) Right where it needs to be. <laughs> Anyways, in uh, in the spirit of the new month, no more spooky bugs. Sad. Ah. I know. But we'll do some special stuff when it gets closer to a certain particular holiday. As long as it's a cool bug, that's fine with me. Um, they're they're cool. They're not cool. They're cool. They're, they're different. Decidedly not cool. <laughs> they're different than other stuff. <laughs> These. Uh, little guys I'm going to cover today are called brine flies. Bran? Brine. Brian? <laughs> brine flies. Like salt. <laughs> oh, like brain. No. What'd you say? I can't do it again. Brine. They're like brining a turkey. Brine. I've never brined a turkey. What does I've that never mean? cooked a turkey. I don't. I eat salt. You salt a turkey. I don't know how you brine a turkey, <laughs> but brine is salt. It's salty water. I think. All right, salty water fly. Yeah, it's the salty waterfly. Salty Brian fly. No Brian. <laughs> Maybe there's one named Brian. I'm sure. There's yeah. got to be a lot named Brian. Probably there's quite a few of them. Anyways, <laughs> the scientific classification, I'm going to start with the order here, which is diptera, which is all flies, and it means two wings. Huh. Why do they say that? I wonder why. Do it's because they... they got two wings. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know that that was what made them flies. So does that mean most other bugs have more than two wings? Because they usually have like four, right? Yeah, usually it's four. There are a couple different like families that don't have four that are like two winged bugs that are not diptera, but all flies have two. That's pretty cool. I had no idea until we did this. I know. Then they come from the family uh, Ephedridae. Ephedridae? Ephedridae. They're shore flies and brine flies. And then this specific genus that I'm going to cover mostly today is Ephedra. 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 Cool. Is that something? That's triggering something in my brain. Like a hydra? No, you know what it is. It's a a whole thing. It's a whole thing from a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, those are technically alkaline flies, but we're going to cover mostly brine flies, which are covered... Within that genus. Okay. Yeah. So there's two really well-known species that I'm going to cover a lot, and that's E. cinerea and E. hyens, which are both just brine flies. Okay. Yes. They're very common in the Great Salt Lake, which I'm going to be talking about a lot because a lot of my research is about the brine flies that are at the Great Salt Lake. Interesting. Is this a listener request? I don't think so. Because I think I requested this. Oh, okay. So it's a Matt request. This is a long while ago. Do you listen to the podcast? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think it's a listener request. I edit the podcast. (laughs) Okay, well, there you go. It's like like a listener request. And I also did a poll on this one, and this one was the one that was chosen. Nice. So someone else agrees with you. Well, I've been near the Great Salt Lake, and I've always like... If it's like so salty, what what could live there? Yeah, there's a couple things. Ooh. Just a couple, really. Now I'm excited. Okay, see, they're cool. Exciting. <laughs> you weren't even excited. <laughs> I told you they were different. 
<laughs> Anyways, they are insects as they are flies. They are pretty small, so four millimeters for the larger of the two species that I talked about. One is the most abundant, that's the E. cinerea, and then the I, the E. Why am I saying I? You know, it's I matter. before E. Except if you're C. Yeah, so you, you <laughs> okay. just got it backwards. Oh, I see. <laughs> so four millimeters, which is about, it's like one twelfth of an inch, like one point, like point fifteen, basically. Okay. Yeah, of an inch. And that's the larger of the two, as I mentioned. So, like, they get pretty teensy-tinesy. They're generally dark gray or kind of like a black color. And they have two big, round, dark compound eyes. And then they have three hat eyes in a triangle pattern like a bee or a wasp. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture and they look like flies. They They do. They do a very, (laughs) at least this picture has very dark, um, like, tea-colored wings. That's nice. I like that. Like a black tea? Yeah, like, you know, like it's got mild translucence, but overall kind of a dark brown. Yeah, yeah. The wings kind of vary based on the species as far as like coloration. I actually did find a lot of variation based on the different species of this like genus, but they all look like flies, guys. They look like flies. I know what those look like. Yeah. So there you go. Just picture flies, but smaller. All right. Small flies. (laughs) They have these really actually disturbing looking to me personally antenna and i looked it up and a lot of flies have really weird uncomfortable looking antenna it's like this little kind of gooey looking blob with like a single hair coming out of it you can't really tell from this picture but okay but it looks odd they're not quite like antenna i've seen before it does sound gross yeah it's not great not my favorite yeah flies are one of those things that like they look fine from far away but like the the more you zoom in on them the more gross they look yeah yeah. yeah, they're pretty gross in general, <laughs> honestly. I mean, maybe not these guys, but like the common housefly, blech. Yeah. Not for me. Yes, anyways, <laughs> they have two wings like we mentioned. There is like a tiny little segment below the wing called a halteres where another set of wings would be and they like vibrate with the wings like at the same time. Would be like... They haven't, they never developed right. or, okay. Or maybe they lost them. Or they lost them I'm not sure time. evolutionary, but yeah, other insects where those wings would be. Oh man, I was imagining like a prehistoric fly that had like rows and rows of wings. Oh, whoa. And they whoa. all just lost them over time. Interesting. <laughs> Your mind goes so many places. Sorry. No, I love it. It's great. <laughs> uh, they do have six segmented legs. As insects do. Six segments or six legs with segments? Six legs with segments. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. Their head and thorax are about the same length and their abdomen is about two times longer and kind of comes to like a cone shape. Mm. Like a, the cone is at the end. Like a raisin. A raisin? Wait, are they cone shaped? I don't think so. They're mm. like... Like shri- a cone. Oh, like a okay, like a cone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a raisin. All right. It's brown like a raisin. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, Oh, man. Uh, Anyways, the whole fly is covered in these little gross short hairs. Indeed it is. Yes. And those are their only form of like what I guess you could call a defense. Being ugly is their defense. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't want to eat that. Uh Uh-uh. Uh, It also allows them to sense their environment in a way that it's like tiny antenna all over. Yeah. Yeah. So they can move like speedy quick. So Wait, that's pretty much moving? all Moving? Oh, because like they can they feel can the... Sense it. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So they can like sense something much easier because they have so many sensors all over them. Mm -hmm. I thought you were saying it makes them go faster. That didn't make sense. <laughs> it does not make them go faster. Yeah. No, no, no. It I just was like, lets why them... would having more things into the wind make them go faster? It would make them slower. Yeah. It would make more them drag. Slower. More drag. This is not. Uh, this is not a, a case of they're faster because gotcha. they're. Yeah. It's more. They can sense you from further away. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of away, where are they located? Away? No, not away. They're everywhere. <laughs> so, the Ephedra genus are cosmopolitan, but they're, generally speaking, if we're talking about alkaline or, or brine or shoreflies, which are all kind of like the same kind of guys, they're all going to be found near water and specifically salty or alkaline water or both. Alkaline water. I don't understand alkaline water because you can buy it, but is that like a naturally occurring water? I don't. It's okay I mean, if you yeah, don't know. I think just... so. Just I don't think that stuff you buy at the store is naturally occurring necessarily, but it's just water with a different pH than what we're used to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Okay, so why do they like this water? I don't know why they like it, but I know why how they can live in it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think they just adapted in their environment to these types of water, and they're some of the only creatures that did, so they live there because there's no competition. Gotcha. This doesn't make sense. Yes. So, most notably, the two big places in the U.S., at least, where they're really commonly found is the Great Salt Lake in Utah, like we mentioned, and Mono Lake in California. They prefer, like, muddy areas as opposed to, like, sandy stuff, which will be important kind of later when we're talking about some of their behaviors. Ooh, I'm interested. Good. <laughs> good. Good. It is good. Okay, so let's get into one of those behaviors right now. Food. Is food a behavior? The way uh, that you... Depends what you do with it, I guess. Right. So... Food art? That's like a behavior. Oh. Do you do a lot of food art? Do I? Yeah. Sometimes I like, you know, when I'm done eating, just put like all the fries into like the cup of ranch or something. I call that food art. Sure. Like or like mix excess. all the condiments together and yeah. put a bunch of salt in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got you. That's food art, right? Yeah, totally food art. I agree. Yeah, so we they... We did see that cheese art in a museum once. Oh, that was gross. It was like a table covered in old cheese. Yeah, American slices of cheese. Yeah. Ew. You were like, we should leave. It was, yeah, I, I was don't like, like I don't, this art. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they were going for. Some kind of statement about society and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Made sense to me. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> These do not eat cheese. They mostly eat cyanobacteria, which is a group of microorganisms that are very small and they're similar to, you know, bacteria, but they're commonly found in bodies of water and they're capable of photosynthesis as well as being prokaryotes. So photosynthesis, getting energy from the sun, prokaryotic is like a single cell, single cell celled organism that doesn't have like a cell nucleus, which is really not that common. And it doesn't have organelles, which are like tiny organs for tiny beings. Yeah, it's a very simple form of life, right? Yes. Actually, the these are the earliest known form of life is prokaryotes. Makes sense. Yeah. Yes, so cyanobacteria are those, and their diet also might include other things like other kinds of bacteria, algae that hangs out on the bottom of the lake, diatoms, which are like algae, but they have like little structures around them, like little houses that they make, and also things like detritus, which, you know, dead stuff, poop. Gotcha. <laughs> that kind of stuff. 
yeah, these it seems like they they're eating small stuff. I was wondering like what kind of food source could they possibly have? It's nice to know that there were what algae is that what you said? Uh-huh. Yeah, interesting. I didn't know. And cyanobacteria. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, what they stuff, that's just like what's in the in the lakes. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Yeah, yep. So the the larvae eat a lot, like a very lot, like up to one hundred and twenty thousand tons of algae and organic matter i don't know what by themselves not one like (laughs) the group of them okay yeah (laughs) there was some sources that i found that stated adults don't have mouth parts and don't eat others stated that adults do eat and they eat algae that washes up onto the shoreline or that they eat when they go underwater my thought here is that this is species specific and that a lot of because a lot of my research is the ones at the Great Salt Lake. I think the ones at the Great Salt Lake don't have mouth parts as adults and they don't eat. Gotcha. Yeah. That's not true necessarily for everybody else. And I I, I don't think it's an error on either part. I really think it's more species specific because there's a lot of research on both. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the source that said that they do eat also mentioned that they can walk into the water. By clinging onto, like, the bottom of the lake. And when they do so, they can't breathe underwater on their own, but instead they form this, like, bubble all over their whole body using the tiny hairs that are all over them. And it holds onto the air from the surface when they enter the water. It creates this, like, little air bubble that lets them breathe underwater for about, like, 15 minutes. What? I know! Scuba bugs! Scuba bugs! Oh, that's super bugs. And during this time, they get to, like, search around, look for food... Or they can lay eggs. And then when they're starting to run out of oxygen, they just let go of the substrate and then the bubble carries them all the way to the surface. Oh, yeah, because the salt makes everything more buoyant. And it's got an air bubble. And it's got bubble. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's super cool. Yeah, when they get to the top, they just like land on their feet on the top of the water and they're not even wet. That's that's really that's really cool. I know. I do like that. I like that too. Yeah. But what eats them? You you may wonder. Hmm. Birds. So many birds. Yes, you got it right on the head I there. Was gonna, I don't know it's what birds. else would be there. It's like a dead lake, so. It's many, many birds. So there's tons of migratory birds that eat these. And these migratory migratory birds eat these brine flies by the thousands. In like a single feeding session, they're eating thousands of these brine flies. It actually has like a really big impact on their diet. So it's important that they get these brine flies. Oh. Mm-hmm. Some of these birds include, and now I'm going to list a bunch of birds I don't know. Oh, um, swallows. No. Ferrets. Uh, That's not a bird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. It's, I don't it's know how that many bird names. Phalaropes, stilts, sandpipers, yellow-headed blackbirds, avocates. How did they name the yellow-headed blackbird? I don't know. Hmm. Must be like a pink bird with no head. <laughs> no head? The no-headed blackbird? Pink bird. Anyway, ducks, seagulls, uh, who chase... It's really funny. They The seagulls will, like, run around on the beach with their mouths open and just, like, squawk while they eat them. It's, oh, like, wow. really silly. There's that many of them? Yes. Oh, they're like swarming these yes. flies. Mm-hmm. 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 Then the golden eyes dive to the bottom to consume the larva, and then there are eared grebels, which eat 40... Per, 40% of these eared grebels diet Do is brine flies. they have ears? These grebels? They might just have spots that look like ears. <laughs> I don't really know that much about birds. <laughs> Check out Just Birds for more. Or don't. <laughs> 
But yes, the brine flies make up the eared grebel's diet by like 40%. And then the other 60% is the other organism that lives in these salty salt lakes, the brine shrimp. Oh, a shrimp. Which I almost covered. And then I was like, can I do a crustacean? Mm, I don't know if I'm ready. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see when we get there. (laughs) Shrimp, you say? So like a shrimp, like the ones that I would think of, like a normal cocktail shrimp kind of thing. Not those specifically, but like that kind of a creature. That kind of a creature, but tiny and in salt water. Well, Mm. salty salt water. I mean, like salt water is the ocean too, but different. Yeah. Like 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 salt water in a lake. Yeah. Yes, so these flies have eight times the caloric value of those brine shrimps. So they're very calorie dense. And I think it's probably because you eat a bunch of them at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some other creatures that will prey on these flies include local spider populations and other invertebrates like beetles and things like that. But mostly, it's birds. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense to me. Yes. It's time for reproduction. All right. Yeah. So... Reproduction, I'm not going to get into like how they mate because I honestly don't know. I couldn't find anything about that. They probably just, you know, copulate. But they, the way that they do things is really different. So the main purpose of the adults is to reproduce. We got that from the not eating thing. Yeah. And for some adult flies, that's their only purpose on account of the not eating thing. Yeah. Right. So when it's time to lay their eggs, they do so on the surface of the lake. That's true for the ones in Utah who don't eat. They fly over the water, lay their eggs on the surface, and then the eggs sink to the bottom and hatch. For the other species that do eat, they will, like, walk down to the bottom of the lake and lay their eggs down there. Yeah, and, and like then the they'll air bubble thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, once the larvae hatch, they can swim freely through the lake and feed until they get, like, big enough to pupate, which is, like, 10 millimeters long. Oh, they can swim. That's cool. They can, yeah. But only as larvae. It's really cool because then they can swim, they can fly, they can walk, they can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, real cool. Very guys. mobile. Very mobile. <laughs> I like that. But yes, once it time, comes time to pupate, they'll find some solid substrate. There's these things called microbialites. Microbialites. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Microbialites, which are like mats made up of bacteria and they're kind of hard. And he's like in the water. Yes. Yeah. They're kind of like at the bottom and sometimes they start to float up a little bit, but and they're it, just bacteria and trash. I don't know if there's trash. I mean, probably, mm. but it's, it's, it's still earth trash. I it's mean. earth. Tra- yeah. It's mostly just bacteria. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. I agree that that is strange. Cause you think of bacteria as being small, not like clumping together into a thing. Yeah, that's that's something that happens kind of a lot. That happens with diatoms too, is they'll mm. clump together. Yeah. Lots of little organisms like to make big groups. That's cool and gross. <laughs> I agree. And another sort of like underwater structure that they like to cling to is called a bioherm, which is a rock-like underwater formation that's formed by like fossilized marine species like coral and mollusks Ooh. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then others, other rocks. Also. Other rocks. Other rocks. Yeah. So they'll they'll cling to these hard surfaces and they have like very strong forelegs that help them cling to them. And it helps them to survive because not a lot of predators are able to eat them when they're at the bottom like that and attached to these hard mm-hmm. surfaces. So it's very helpful for them and their whole process. So while the adults can't breathe underwater, the larvae can. 
The larvae also are highly adapted to live in these salty and alkaline waters. And some of the organs that they use to do so are really interesting. And I'm, getting, I'm gonna get into a lot of the different things that they have right now. So some of these organs allow them to tolerate super high salt concentrations by like taking the salt in and diffusing it or pushing it back out. Yeah, then, like filtering the salt out. Yeah, but there are limits for sure. And then there's other organs called lime glands that allow them to process other potentially harmful ions, such as carbonate and bicarbonate. And those lime glands do so by removing the ions from their bloodstream and then pushing them back out into the water. And there's some other things that happen, like pumping mechanisms that are present in their bodies that also help them to live in these harsh, condi- harsh conditions by removing sulfates. So, like, there's a lot of things happening in these salt lot of lakes. filtering. Lots of filtering happening. And the, the sulfates kind of accumulate in their gut, so they eat them when mm. they're eating all these bacteria and everything. And then they're moved into their bloodstream, then their colon, and then out, out into the body of water. Hmm, that's really cool. Yeah. I guess it must, yeah, you got to be really well adapted to live in this environment. Which is why so few species do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to step it up. <laughs> they want to live at this luxurious salt lake. I guess it's, I mean, there's not a lot of predators. No, that's kind of why it's great. Yeah, I yeah. guess it's good for them. Yeah, but it is important to note, I did mention some limits. If the salt concentration in the water or the salinity gets above 20%, they can't survive anymore. It's just too high for their body to process. And would that be like if it, the water evapor- evaporates or something? Yeah, so we're going to kind of get into why that would happen because mm. it is happening oh so yes but before we get there <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about these before... <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about these larvae they so brine flies have a full metamorphosis as eggs larva pupa adult the larvae begin to hatch in like april or may and they keep hatching all the way until like october and november that depends on when the eggs are laid not necessarily like temperature conditions mm. things like that yeah so, during these months, they'll have two or three peak seasons. So, like, a bunch of different peaks in their populations throughout this time period, which is kind of crazy. The larvae then go inactive during the winter at the bottom of the lake. They just kind of hang out in the water at the bottom of the lake and in a dormancy state. And then they come out of that. Actually, they can go into that as soon as early fall, and then they'll be in it until the end of winter. That's some good adaptation, because it gets pretty cold up there. I know. Well, I mean, the bottom of the lake is going to be a little bit warmer, but still. Oh, yeah, because the water insulates itself. Right, right. But still, it's pretty interesting to like picture a bunch of bugs just like asleep, basically, at the bottom of a lake. That's, yeah. It's very interesting to me. I wonder how long they could stay like that. Apparently a while. For 100,000 years. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, in spring, they liven up and they start to eat everything in sight. So they just go on like a... Feeding spree. Yes, like a feeding frenzy. So they will begin to pupate in late spring or early summer. So not that long after they come out of their overwintering period. And then the pupation only takes like one to three weeks, depending on the temperature of the water. And then once the pupation is complete, the adults emerge from their chrysalis and float to the surface with their air bubble. Which is interesting because... The other ones that we were talking about, they took air from the surface yeah. and they brought it down. So where are these larvae getting their air from? Uh, I don't know. That's what I was wondering. Isn't that interesting? You want to know what it is? <laughs> it's just from the water. Like the pupa, when they're in their pupa stage, they are like sucking oxygen out of the water and into the the chrysalis. What? 
I know. And then when the adult emerges, they they use that to cover themselves in a little bubble. And See, these are this. interesting. They're super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't sound interesting when you're like, Brian flies, yeah. you know? The Brian flies are super interesting. <laughs> it's not Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brian flies. Right, right, right. So they create that air bubble. They go up to the surface. And when they're going up to the surface, that pupil casing is also going to emerge with them. Mm. It's going to... Yeah, like to... a spaceship. Or something. Yeah, like a space capsule. Yeah. That's like separate from the, the people. Because mm-hmm. they got out somehow. Wait, the guy's, the fly's not in it? Mm-mm. Oh, he's not in it when it floats up? Right, exactly, yeah. So they pupate, they break open at the bottom. The adult floats up in their little bubble, and then the pupa casing goes on its own. Oh, what for? Oh, I can't say the bottom. It's all light and stuff. Oh, I see. Like, it just floats up naturally. Yes, yeah, yeah. Not for any purpose. I thought it was like for them to eat later or something. No, it isn't, but... Some things do eat them. So these casings float up and they kind of collect on the shores. So they, they make like a bunch of washed up pupa casings that just kind of kick it on the side of the shoreline. And these larvae are not showing up in small numbers. You kind of hinted or guessed towards that when we were talking about the birds. They can reach densities just the larva can reach densities of up to 25,000 per square meter, and that's underwater. Then the casings that wash up on the shore often reach like 30, 370 million per mile of shoreline in the summer months. Holy bananas. Uh-huh, yeah. So <laughs> they were counted. Holy chrysalis. <laughs> they were counted by the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources, and they found 7 billion across just like six miles of the causeway. Oh, man. Well, at least there's plenty of bird food. Well, but they don't eat the casings. No, but like... Oh, the, but the flies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's almost as, men, as many humans as we have on the planet. Not quite, because we're at 7.88 right now. But 7 billion in six, in six miles? miles. That's a lot of fly. That is a lot, lot of, of fly. That's a lot of Brian. <laughs> Thankfully, things like fungi and bacteria that are decomposers do break down these casings, and their nutrients are returned to food webs. I love it. I do too. Not surprisingly. Recycle. Yeah, recycle. I was going to do the whole thing with the three R's. I can't remember them at all. I don't know that thing. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Recycle, recycle, recycle. Right. That's what I remember. But not surprisingly, the number of adults has also been counted in the billions during these summer months. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So adults only live for a few days, which makes sense if they're not eating. Uh, they do live long enough to mate and lay eggs, and that's pretty much it. And brine flies are capable of completing, like, two life cycles in a year if the conditions are right, which is why we're seeing, like, multiple peaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are they a social species? I don't think they'd have a no. choice. I mean, it's... There's so it's many. Kind of like, they're not, like, really... Ni- they're neither. They're not social beings because they don't have, like, a social structure necessarily, but they clearly don't care that they're near each other. So, like, they're not, like solitary either yeah i gotcha yeah i would say maybe neutral neutral pretty neutral we need one of those scales of like neutral good neutral evil Mm. whatever Mm. i you know yeah yeah some role-playing games i don't know okay (laughs) are they dangerous well those that don't have mouth i mean if you suffocated on them if there's that many well hmm (laughs) I think you'd have to be, I think that would, ha- that would take some special doing. You would have to like pass out on the beach with your mouth open. Like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yes, adults in Utah don't have the mouth parts, but no brine or shore flies are considered dangerous to my knowledge. They're just not dangerous. Yeah, they're just mm-hmm. flies. 
Are they rare? No. How could they be? Right. So they're very common and normally in super high abundances. Unfortunately, in the Great Salt Lake, these are keystone species. So do you remember what I told you about keystone species before? I think keystone's a beer. It, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is a beer. <laughs> okay, quick refresher on what a keystone <laughs> species is. It is any species that an entire ecosystem relies on. So in like, if you think about it as a stone or a keystone, if this stone were removed from the pillar, the pillar would crumble. Okay, yeah, mm. a lot of things eat these and rely on them. Yes, yes. So why did I say, unfortunately, they're a keystone species? Well, the brine flies are currently dealing with high stressors from multiple sources that are causing massive declines in their numbers, at least in the Great Salt Lake. So I'm going to kind of talk about this really detailed and break it down because I think it's important. Okay. Yeah. So one factor that these flies need is that rocky substrate to attach to while they're underwater in order to pupate, right? Mm -hmm. That's like very important for the life cycle. A large number of these my micro microbolites, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they are their main source for this, and they're kind of floating to the water's surface. When they surface, the microorganisms that they're made up of die. And they take a food source with them when they do that. So that's not good. That's really bad, actually. And then some of these microbolites are not floating all the way up, but they get pretty high and they're hit, hit by waves. And this wave motion is enough to knock all of the juveniles loose from them. So they can't pupate and they die. Well, is something making this happen? Because it sounds like that would just happen sometimes. That would just be like bad luck. I don't know. So I, I couldn't find any science on why that specific thing is happening. But I know that it's happening in greater numbers right now. Mm. Mm -hmm. It might be a warming, as it sometimes is right now with things and water. Um, or it could be due to this other factor, which is that... The water in the Great Lake is declining significantly. It's drying up. Yeah. So not necessarily drying up. So what they're finding is that the water levels have decreased, but it's pretty much humans that are doing it because they actually use that body of water as a water source. Oh, so they must filter the crap out of it then, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Got to get rid of all that salt. Yes. Yeah. So when the water is are decreasing like that it not only affects the size and proportion of like the flies housing like their home mm -hmm. but it also does do the thing that you were kind of talking about earlier where much more dangerously it concentrates the salt that's present and the remaining water is no longer livable uh makes it too salty mm -hmm. yeah so it, it gets close to that 20 percent or higher and at that point there's just no life that can survive there so what they're doing, well, basically what's happening is the larvae that are in the water are struggling to regulate the current levels of salts in their bloodstream, which is leading to smaller adults who are having less brood less, yeah, less, yeah, less eggs. eggs or laying way less eggs. So it's not killing them yet, but it's already having a lot of impact. And if it gets worse, it will kill them. So if all these flies disappear from the ecosystem, thousands of birds lose their primary food source. The brine shrimp and maybe the spiders would be like the only thing remaining for them. 
But some of these birds don't have access to the brine shrimp because they're not able to dive into the lake. Yeah. So, like, that's out for them. And the spiders, it's not their normal food source. So why would they deviate? Because mm-hmm. evolution doesn't happen that quickly. So that's not great. And they are already seeing the migratory bird populations decreasing. So not awesome. However, there is some hope. The Utah government officials have put plans in place to increase the water levels of the lake because one of those main contributing factors is human human water usage. So if it weren't for humans and their consumption of this water, the lake would actually be like 11 feet taller. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so a, like it's that's pretty significant. Yeah. So putting these policies in place to reduce that water usage should help. And companies in Utah have already promised to give large quantities of water back to the lake. And it's all part of the big plan, but it's pretty much a drop in the ocean, so to speak. Uh, But it's a start. It's something, right? Right. And there was an incident with the Mono Lake in California in the 1970s where they were seeing similar patterns and like really big crisis type stuff happening. And they were thankfully able to get that under control. So there's there is some hope. Cool. Yeah. However, I mean, it shouldn't shouldn't be downplayed what kind of impact that the current state could have. If nothing resolves, the entire ecosystem will crumble and many animals will go extinct or endangered as a result. So see now as a like as a normal person and you think who cares about all these dumb flies around this gross lake? Mm -hmm. Like as a person just observing it, you would think this is just gross and it wouldn't matter if it was there or not. But it seems, look how important it is. Yeah, and this is true for most ecosystems. Most in, most ecosystems have a keystone species. And a structure and, and sometimes a, all kinds of stuff. those keystone species are species we don't like, like flies or wolves or things like that. They're very important, but we don't necessarily want them around and humans can have a really big impact. So the next time you think you don't like flies, remember they're food for birds, which you might like. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and the, Or birds can be food for other things you like. Right. But just to give you an idea of like how impactful this can be, the numbers. So one scientist went to go kind of get this under control, kind of figure it out. And the numbers that were present on the shoreline had gone from billions or millions to like half a dozen. Half a dozen? That they counted in a certain space, yeah. From millions or billions? Okay, that's that's exponential. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's quick. Like, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't take a lot for this species to get into this situation. And it will take a lot to get them out. But, again, there's some hope. So hope hopefully they can get them back. Save the Bryans. <laughs> I do have some cool stuff. Um, it's not necessarily stuff that's happening right now, but it's still pretty cool. About the past, you know? Yeah. So Native Americans used to harvest the brine flies for nutrients. The Paiute people of California collected the larvae from Mono Lake, and they removed their coarse exoskeletons by, like, rubbing them and rolling them. And what was left was these kernels of, like, bug protein that they consumed, and they were reportedly very tasty. Hmm. That's a gross meal, but, you know, I would try. (laughs) I, I think I would try it. I mean, I guess if you're in, you know, if there's like not that much food around, but then there's like a billion flies, like you might try. Yeah. And I mean, protein's good for you. Yeah. Protein is great. Probably. I think it's good. I think the the consensus is good. Yeah. And at the time, they were so abundant. So it was like a great source. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well. Yes. And in Mexico, west of present day Mexico City, the Aztecs also harvested the brine brine fly larva for food and they would utilize the eggs to make flour. 
Oh, so they like grind up the eggs and make flour? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that's good bread. Well, I don't know if they're making bread. I don't I don't know. What else do you use flour for? Cake. <laughs> cake is just sweet bread. Everyone knows. That's a very controversial opinion. I don't know if cake is just sweet bread. I think it is sweet bread. It has not, like it's not the same texture as bread at all though. Uh, let us let us know in the email. Is cake bread? Email us if cake is bread. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay, great. Is it still cake or bread if it's made of bug eggs though? Uh, depend. We need to find the definition of bread. Okay. That may not be bread. I don't think cake is bread either. Yeah, cake is bread. <laughs> but bug bug meal is not is not flour, which is not bread. Okay. Let us know your <laughs> opinions. Uh, but yeah, that is everything that I have for you on brine flies. I don't have any shout outs this week, but I have some photos of like migratory birds being eaten in big swarms that I'm hoping to get my hands on. I've Ooh. emailed some people, so we'll see. Yeah, I hope we get a I hope we get some good ones. Yeah, what'd you think? I liked it. Brian flies. I mean, I, it was a surprise that it was a bug that I offhandedly mentioned months ago, and now now it's happened. Now it you great. know. Yeah, it was really interesting. Now you know what lives in Salt Lake. Yeah, because I was like, "What's up with that gross lake?" I was also wondering what was up with that gross lake. Yeah, it's not gross. Okay, it's a lake. I know, but if you think about like, what do you do in the lake? It's like you fish, you lay on the beach. Something you can't really do any of that there. No. You can walk around and get flies all over your feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, yeah. there was an activity there I didn't even think of. See, now you know. Could have made bug meal, bug bread. Could have. Yeah. That's all I have, though. <laughs> well... Do the honors. All right, all right, okay. So if you want to maybe see at some point later some pictures of swarms of brine, brine flies <laughs> <laughs> being eaten by birds, including seagulls, uh, check us out on Instagram at JustBugsPodcast uh, at Instagram. Or you can email us for not pictures of that. Just to let us know <laughs> if cake is bread. Oh, please let us know uh, if you think cake is bread. JustBugsPodcast at gmail.com. Tell your friends about the show. Rate the show on your podcast platform of choice. Let us know what you think of it and and whatnot. And that really helps us grow. We appreciate it. And we have a Patreon. Yeah, Just Bugs on Patreon. Patreon. Yeah, stuff there. There's stuff there. And uh, it helps us out. And uh, yeah, anything else? Don't squish bugs. Don't squish bugs. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. But don't squish any bugs. Don't squish bugs. Thanks, Brian. Aw, Brian. Bye. Bye.